it's it's such a pleasure to be here today. Um, every time that I've made the trek over here, it's been about an hour drive, and I am absolutely blown away um, by how you guys flow with the Spirit. Um, it's something that, for the four years that I've been in ministry, um, the Lord has really has really given me a heart for that specific thing of being in his presence and do, and wanting nothing but being in his presence, period. Um, and I get to speak about what I love to do. Um, just a quick introduction for, for me. Um, my name is Jeremy Morosco, and I have lived in Minneapolis, South Dakota, um, Wyoming. Wyoming's a crazy state, by the way. Um, and now I live here in Kansas City, and I've been here for four years, and I've done full-time ministry for the past four years. I've lived off of support. Um, I've done a lot of ministry here regionally. Uh, I've been to back to Minneapolis. I taught at Bethany Global University um, on prayer and worship. I was actually just in Lubbock, Texas, where Patrick Mahomes is from. Is any Chiefs fans here? Yeah! I see the jersey. Um, so I was actually just there at a youth camp um, and one of my favorite trips, actually internationally, was I was in South Africa for three months, uh, ministering to the body of Christ there, helping to plant a prayer room um, and activate the nation of South Africa to pray and sing scripture. Um, so me personally, I am coming on four years of full-time ministry. Um, I have a heart to disciple people from every nation and tribe to live a life full of vibrant worship and deep prayer. What I've been affected by most in my own walk with the Lord is um, this deep understanding of God actually wants us as worshipers and we were actually created to worship. It's actually our primary mandate and I'll get into that in a second here. Um, but the primary way that I do this is with an organization called 111 Global. Uh, 111 Global actually comes from Malachi 111, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, my name will be made great among the nations, and incense will arise from every tongue, which is such an amazing verse. I've dived really heavily into that one, but I'm more of a revelation kind of guy. I love Malachi, um, but I'm more of gazing upon where we're going as worshipers, the reality of heaven, and how God wants that to be on earth. Which leads me into my next point, which is, I, I love speaking about. This is my favorite thing. Um, but I wanted to talk today, after I was praying a couple days ago, I wanted to talk a little bit about worship and prayer. And for the past four years, I've been captivated by a question. And that question is very simple, but becomes a lot more complicated when we, when we look at the current state of affairs and and what's on God's heart, as we see in scripture. And that question is, what if every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiped the living God? What if, right? And there is a prophetic promise that we see in Revelation that every tribe and tongue is represented in heaven, and it's beautiful. If you've never read the book of Revelation, it is... One, it gives me chills thinking about it. It is one of the most beautiful books that we can see because we gaze upon where we're going with the Lord. It is the 
wedding feast of the Lamb. It is the prophetic story of the ending and the restoration of what we broke at creation. Where we fell, God restored us. And we see him come back for his bride. So what I wanted to talk about today um, was the overarching theme of that, of God restoring his relationship with man. And what I want to start with is uh, in Genesis. So in Genesis, we see God create the heavens and the earth. And we see God creating man. And this is the first picture of God wanting to be intimate with man. So when we, when we see God creating man, right, it's not the way that he's created everything else where he's like, let there be light and there was light, right? And he spoke creation and there it was. And it was powerful and glorious, but it, it feels distant, right? It feels like he speaks it and it was, and then he goes and does the next thing. And with man, it's different. With man, he gets in the dust, right? He gets down in the dirt, and he molds man. And then, this is a key part, he breathes life into man. Now, I, when I was in Africa, there's a, there's a second part to this. When I was in Africa, my, my, a close friend of mine teaches about this, and usually what he'll do is be like, does anybody want to demonstrate the breath of life with me? And nobody says yes, right? It's like super intimate, right? It's like, whoa. And then this one lady, when we were in Africa, he gets up and, he, and he's speaking about this, and he's like, who wants to help me demonstrate? And then this lady in the back <laughs> jumps up and runs down the aisle, and he starts backpedaling. And the reason why he starts backpedaling is because what we see is when God breathes life into man, it's not distant. It is not man's created, God was just on, the, on his hands and knees building man, and then he steps back and he goes, that's not at all what he does. It's mouth to mouth. It's breathe, the, the way that we do CPR, right? Somebody is like flopping around like a fish and they're about to drown and then somebody gets down, chest compressions, mouth to mouth kind of thing. That is how God breathed life into us. It was an intimate, it was so intimate that it's uncomfortable to think about, right? It's so intimate that it's so uncomfortable to think about. But that's the intimacy that God seeks from us. It's not far off, you know, God's up here and I'm down here and, and heaven's way over here and I'm over here. It's actually heaven is being pulled down. God's plan is for heaven to be on earth. It is not for us to be here and heaven to be up there and to be disconnected. That is not the fullness of what God intended. So then I want to skip forward. So we, we, see, we see God dwelling on earth with man in the garden. And it was great. It was beautiful. And the more that I have studied temples, right? The more that I've studied the place where people in Israel would go to see God. And it was this place of not just worship to God, but it was a place of his presence. It was a place of here's where God is and everybody can get closer. And at that time, only priests could enter in. But what we see in the garden is God at the center of the garden and man tending and keeping. That was a commandment that God gave to man. He was tend and keep the garden, which, funny enough, 
is the same phrase in Genesis 2.15, tend and keep the garden, that is the same phrase for the priests that ministered to God's presence in the temple. So the garden was the original temple. We were made to be priests. We were crafted to minister to God's presence and to worship him, to gaze upon his glory and to dwell with the living God. So then we skip forward a little bit. We get, to, we get into um, David's kingdom, which is way farther. And I will, I'm gonna get into some of this, but I would highly encourage everybody to read First and Second Chronicles. It is such... It just paints a picture of heaven actually reflecting earth in such an amazing way. So we get to David's kingdom, and as many of you know, David, how, how God describes him, is a man after God's own heart. Such an honoring phrase. Like, if, if I got to heaven and God was like, you are a man after my own heart, I would, I would just start weeping right there. I'd be like, this is the greatest moment of my entire existence. And David became king. And does anybody know what happens in like a coronation speech, right? When somebody becomes king, they're like, I'm the greatest, I'm the best, I just am king and I'm gonna make a bunch of money and all of this kind of stuff. That was actually the complete opposite of what David did. David on his coronation speech got up in front of his people and he said, I'm gonna put God at the center of my entire kingdom. I'm gonna spend what is the equivalent of like billions of dollars on ministering to God's presence. So we see this. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in a tabernacle and David surrounded that tabernacle with worshipers, musicians, people that ministered to his presence. And why did he do that, right? Did he do it because it was a good idea, you know? Like did he do it because in his brain he was like, man, I really wanna play music to God right? I believe that David actually saw heaven. I believe that he peered into the throne room and modeled his kingdom after what was happening in God's throne room. And I'm not just saying that. Let me dive into something crazy. So when we look at David's kingdom, you see the Ark of the Covenant, the place of God's presence where God dwells, right? And it's at the center. And then what we see surrounding the Ark of the Covenant is four primary worship leaders. And those worship leaders were David, Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun. And then we see 24 worship teams. This is crazy. 24 worship teams. The number of them, along with their brothers, who were trained in singing to the Lord, all who were skillful, was 288. And then that's First Chronicles 25, 7. And if you keep on going, it says Jejuthin and his brothers 12, and they go through all of these brothers 12. I would read that to you, but it's almost like reading the, uh, the genealogy of Jesus. It's just names after names. But then you get down to the end, and it says the list. Oh, the, you get down to 31. It says to the 24th, to Ramonti Ezer and his sons and his brothers 12. So we see 24 worship teams. So we see the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, and then we see four primary worship leaders. And then we see their 24 worship teams. And then the entirety of David's kingdom coming around that and worshiping God. Now that's a really, really cool thing, but it gets even cooler. So when 
When I actually read this, this blew my mind because it took what I did with worship, my heart for worship, my, my reality of, of gazing upon God's beauty in worship and actually worshiping out of a place of love rather than ab- obligation. The more that I learned about where we're heading, the more that I was like blown away. And then I read this. So we're gonna skip to the kingdom of heaven. I'm gonna paint a picture for you. So worship from every nation, tribe, that never stops. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. I'm gonna read this whole scripture because I love Revelation. But it says, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I, that's such an epic scripture. Such an epic scripture. But I'm going to highlight a couple things. So what do we see in heaven? God at the center. Right? We see God sitting in the, th- in the center in his throne. And then we see four living creatures surrounding his throne room. Right? And what are, the, what are the four living creatures doing? Their entire existence is like one thing. And they're, it's weird when you look at them. They're covered in eyes. They got like head like a bull, face like a man, wings. Like they're crazy. But their whole job is to look at God and call all of heaven to worship. So technically speaking, those are worship leaders. They're calling all of heaven to worship lead. So what do we see? We see David's kingdom, the Ark of the Covenant, place of God's presence. And then we see heaven, God's throne. And then we see in David's kingdom, four primary worship leaders calling all of the kingdom to worship. And then we see the four living creatures pushing in for worship. So then it gets even crazier. So I'm gonna read this other one. So Revelation 4 Two through eight. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. That's again the throne with one seated on the throne. And I love when they talk about when they when they describe Jesus and God in these. It's just incredible. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Around the throne, around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning. And it gets this super epic describing heaven of like lightnings and thunder. And it's like this crazy like God displaying his power. But what, what do we see? So we see God's presence. We see the four living creatures. And then we see 24 elders. David's kingdom. Ark of the Covenant. Four primary worship leaders, 24 worship teams. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I've been a Christian for a while, and I don't believe in coincidences anymore. There's no way that that's a coincidence. And this is, and it, oh man, I just, I could go for hours on this. Um, so then what we see 
is in David's kingdom, worship never stopped, right? And at, at one point when I was teaching this a while ago, I, I couldn't find the scripture that said, worship never stopped in David's kingdom. It infuriated me. I was like, you have a whole kingdom full of people and 288 people that you're praying, 24 worship teams. I don't know about you, but there are 24 days or 24 hours in a day. So like one person worshiping for an hour is worth it. But I couldn't find that one verse that said that. And then this really smart guy that's like, he, he knows Hebrew and Greek. He's, he's an incredible. He's a guy that I work with. And he was like, actually, there is a verse. And that verse is, First Chronicles 16:37. So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark to, of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the Ark as each day required. So David, worship never stopped in David's kingdom, right? Worship never stops in heaven. And then it gets crazier. <laughs> this is my favorite thing to teach. So. Jesus teaches us to pray. This is going to make sense in a second. I'm not kind of just jumping all over scripture and whatnot. When Jesus teaches us to pray, there's a very key phrase that he says. And it's when you look at Revelation, when you look at heaven, and you look at how God and his desire for that to be on earth, and then Jesus teaches us to pray. And we all know this prayer, but I'm going to say it anyways. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. High praise, right off the bat. Our Father, King of heaven, hallowed be your name. Joining in what the angels are saying, what the elders are saying, what everybody's saying in heaven. And then after that, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to say that part again. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the thing that I would, you know, I would go to bed every night when I was a kid and I would say that prayer. And, you know, you would just say it more of like, well, this is what Christians do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that, right? And it's like when I saw the fullness of what that meant of like his kingdom coming to earth is that reality of God's throne room, God's government, what God is doing up there is actually meant to be here. We are meant to be those people. We were not created to be distant from God, worshiping him from a distance. We were meant to be here. We were meant to be close with God, clo so close that it's uncomfortable. That's the, that's the funny thing, so close that it's uncomfortable. Like think close and then be like, think closer. However close you can think of, think closer. And these questions, so this, this, this question that I ask, the what if worship and prayer existed in every tribe and tongue and nation on earth, it fascinates me. It captivates me. It makes me, and it has led me to lay down my entire life so that I can do this one thing, so that I can minister to God and then take that piece and bring it to every nation and be like, this is why you were created. This is, this is the piece, right? It's like when you get saved, 
It's not just so you can go to church on Sunday. It's not just so you can be fed once a week and come to church and then malnourished. It's so that you can live a life vibrantly before God. It is a place of his presence that we are supposed to be. And it's out of a place of extravagant love, gazing upon the beauty of the God that spoke creation, that created the heavens and the earth, that then, after all of that, got down on his hands and knees and fashioned you to be with you. Creation and scripture and God is screaming, I want to be with you. That is, that is all that it's saying. Scripture is so much easier when you look at it through the eyes of a love letter to you specifically. God did not send his son to die on a cross so that you could live distant from him. He, he came and died on a cross so that you could live uncomfortably close to him. So close that as marriage is a reflection, and I think it's beautiful and it's, it's amazing, but it's like a, almost a dim reflection of the intimacy that we feel with God. And that's what I've been captivated with. But here's the thing. I've been captivated with this question, but I've been equally as grieved by that same question. And the reason why is because this doesn't exist on earth. This is not the fullness. We do not live in the fullness. And that for me to enter into a place of worship and feel his presence, I'm like, this could be my entire existence. And I want it to. This could be everybody's existence. Gazing upon the beauty of God all the days of your life and all the days of your existence. And yet, we are so captivated by lesser lovers that we miss God. And I'm, I'm not just saying that piece out of a place of what I witnessed with my eyes. Jesus says, and it's the scariest verse on the planet. It literally should make you quake in your boots when you hear this. Matthew 7, through 23, there is a group of people that Jesus is talking about at the end of the age. And these people are like, we prophesied in your name. We cast demons out in your name. People were healed in your name. And Jesus turns away from them. Which is a terrifying thought. And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's the crazy thing. You can do miracles. People, you can cast demons out in the name of the Lord. But if God never knew, knew you, you missed a point. If there was no intimacy, you missed the point. And the thing that grieves me more is just, I see this everywhere is that people are so captivated by the works of the Spirit, which are incredible. They're like, like God did not have to make it so that 
like he heals you on the spot and you see tumors fall off or broken legs restored. He didn't need to do that. He spoke all of creation. Like out of nothing, he created the entire universe. The atoms in your body would not exist if it wasn't for God. That is so much more wild to me than like healing or prophecy. Prophecy is, is incredible and it's encouraging, it's great, but it's like God is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger. And the thought that I can enter into intimacy with him blows my mind. And it, it compels me to go everywhere in the world teaching people about that. If I can go to everybody, and like, it's a big, it's a big vision to go to every single nation on the planet, but I, I want to. My whole goal is, like, I want to be there so that I can tell people about this. So I can tell people that you were made to worship. Not that it's something that you do. It's not something that happens on Sunday. It's not even about music. Although music is closely tied, it's not about it. It's not about it at all. It's about gazing upon God and being like, you are so much higher than anything. You are so much more beautiful than anything. You are so much powerful than anything that I could ever see. And I can't, I don't want to move from that place. I want to be some, I want to be known as somebody that sits in that place and doesn't move. Like if, if God's like, God will give you mandates out of the place of intimacy. If you haven't had a mandate of ministry, sit in his presence and be in love with him. And then out of that place, he'd be like, you got it. I'm going to send you. But then at that point, you're like, but can I stay a little longer? At that point, God sends you out and he's like, I want you to minister to these people. And you're like, but ah, I really just want to be here. I want to be with you. I want to gaze upon your beauty. And it's painful to lead that place. But it's, it's beautiful at the same time. If you're not hungry for the place of his presence, if you're not starving for his presence all the time, one day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather spend all of my time running to his presence. That's what I want to do. So there's a quote by a really smart guy. Do you guys know John Piper? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, John Piper's great. He's um, incredible. But there's a quote from him uh, that leads me into this next point, but it says, missions exists because worship does not. If you've ever, and that's not my quote, I can't claim that one, that's John Piper. I wish it was my quote, because that's a really cool quote. Um, but this, this statement, missions exist because worship does not, actually illuminated to me why we even do missions, right? Like a lot of time when I, would, when I would be asked, well, why do people do missions? Why do people evangelize? Why do we share our faith with people? Why do we live our lives so that people can see Jesus through us? Is not actually for people to get saved. That's, that's not the reason. I know that's kind of like a controversial statement sometimes, but 
when you get saved, what do you do? What tell people, but after that, it's you worship. It's what you were made. When you get saved, it's like you come into this realization that Jesus is so much more beautiful than your current circumstances. Like Jesus is so much more powerful than like your car breaking down. Or like for me, my testimony is I was in college addicted to drugs and alcohol, and the Lord pulled me out of that. And when I finally gazed upon his glory is when I shifted and I came over here and I was like, there's nothing else. So when people get saved, it's actually to worship the living God. It is actually to enter into a kingdom and to gaze upon the beauty of the God that is righteous and beautiful and just and perfect in all of his ways. And that specifically is why I am going. That specifically, that piece right there, to show and to tell people why they were made, why this is important, where we're going, why going and spending time with other believers is important. Because we're just made to gaze upon the beauty of God. So, I want to start with September 1st of this year. I, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. Three years ago is when I fully jumped into full-time missions. I laid my career aside, relationships aside, money aside. I laid everything aside so that I can jump into full-time ministry. And I work very closely with a ministry called YWAM. And what YWAM is, is it stands for Youth with a Mission. And it was my avenue to disciple young people to worship God. I, I led tracks. I led intensives. I taught young people um, about worship, how they can do it. It's easy. The biblical understanding, David's kingdom, everything I covered with you today, but more in like depth. Um, and one of the things that I hadn't done yet is their base level school to enter in to be more intentional with YWAM. And I prayed about it for three years and just got nothing. Absolutely nothing. The Lord didn't say anything. He said no at certain point, points, wait at certain points. And then recently I was just in Texas and I was at a youth event. And I was helping lead worship. I was helping to minister and evangelize to an entire high school. It was wild in Lubbock. And I was, I just was so impressed by the leadership of YWAM and how they ministered. So I just prayed the same prayer. Again, I was like, Jesus, I'm in, I'm all in. Whatever you would have me do, I will go if, if you would have me with this team. When, when I got saved, my first call to missions was to go to Lebanon. And it fell through. And then how I got my passport, I was going to go to Iraq. And it fell through. And I was like, God, what, what are you doing? I have like this whole heart for the Middle Eastern people. And then he said yes, and it was to this place in the Middle East. And I was like... Of course, it would be in the Middle East. Of course. 
And each location, so these schools, uh, they're purely based off of reaching the lost. So they, you take six months out of the year, um, and you take the local communities that you're at, and you learn how to reach them specifically. So the school that I'm actually partaking in is specifically how to reach and minister to Middle Eastern regions, uh, which is, I, I, it's so special to me because the more that I gaze upon God and more that I read the Gospels, the more that I'm like, this is where Jesus walked and I get to minister to his people. Like, it's just such a, a crazy, powerful thing in my own heart. Um, but these schools are for six months, and they specifically teach you how to reach the region that you're in. And I am, I just wish that it was sooner. It's in January. That's when I'm actually fully leaving. January 11th is my departure date um, to go to the Middle East. And my heart and my vision for that season is three things. It's, I really want to dive heavily into a disciple role. I want, to, I want to glean as much as I can from these people. I want to witness what God's doing in that area and not be somebody that I've been teaching for years. I, I, I want to come with a heart open, my hands open before before them so I can glean as much as I can from these people. I want to build connections with the local body of Christ because my plan is not just to go for six months, learn, minister, and then to leave. My, action, my goal is I feel like this is a door that's been open to me to actually minister more intentionally to middle, the Middle East. And it's a door that opens up to the rest of the Middle East. So it's also to build these connections with people and it is also to step more intentionally into reaching the lost. I have primarily ministered here in Kansas City as a teacher and for people to learn more intentionally about their created purpose. I have been on missions trips, evangelized, but I feel like the season that I'm walking into is actually to have the heart to reach the lost more intentionally imparted into my heart. So, this season is more about intentional growth and to open doors in the Middle East as well as reaching the area that I'm in and seeing how God is moving in that part of the world. And right now, I mean, as many of you know, it's, it's pretty intense right now. Um, I worship lead at a church out in Lee Summit, and we're very connected with um, the Israeli church, and it's, it's pretty hard to watch, but it makes me even more grieved for that part of the world and actually makes me want to go more, um, which I think is a gift from the Lord. So I, just so everybody knows, um, I will be sticking around a little bit so that if you have any questions for me at all, um, you can come speak to me. I would love to talk to you. I'm a very social kind of guy. This is one of the few times that I get up in front of a big crowd of people and not like ask a bunch of questions and all of that kind of stuff. So if you want to connect, I will be somewhere out there. 
um, and I would love to connect with you. Um, but I do want to get into the practicals of this trip. Um, so as for cost, I am in need of 7000 for the trip for tuition and around 1800 for flights. And praise God, I'm about halfway there right now. Um, I'm getting ready to purchase my flights uh, there. I unfortunately can't buy them back. Um, just whether or not I'm in that specific country at the time or whether I'm in the neighboring countries. Um, so that's coming up quickly. Uh, but I have, I have the faith to believe for all of that. And the Lord has really blessed me a ton. And I'm so thankful for everything that he's already given me. And then the second practical is prayer. Um, and specifically prayer for favor and protection as I go. The, there is a number of factors that could prevent me from actually even getting into the country. Um, and the increased security risk um, is posing a lot more challenges currently. Right now, borders aren't closed. Um, there's no travel ban. There's nothing like that. But a neighboring country uh, just declared war. And there is increased tension building there. Um, and as a Christian, it is actually illegal to be a Christian where I'm going, and it is uh, even more illegal to be a missionary. So prayer for favor and protection in that area um, and the will, the, the will of the Lord to be done while I'm there. Um, and even, I mean, this is more of like a personal prayer request, but like for my family, because they're like, I'm super excited to go, but they're scared out of their minds. My mom is like, I'm so excited you're going. And then I show where I'm going. She's like, could you do it somewhere else, you know? Um, so definitely peace for them. Um, and while the area is relatively neutral, uh, there is there's a lot of bordering conflicts. Um, so as I go, if I come to mind, I would love your prayer requests, or I would love your, your, your prayers in that time. Um, I think, I think I am at my time, um, but I would actually love to pray for you all while I, while I have this microphone. <laughs> um, so will you, will you bow your heads as I just continue to pray? Jesus, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you for your presence being in this place, God. We thank you for salvations and for worship. And God, I just ask that you would continue to extravagantly bless this church, that you would continuously bless everybody in this room with your presence, to gaze upon you with dove's eyes, with wholehearted love, for you, God. I ask that you would move on hearts in this place today that, that want to join a, more intentionally into prayer and worship and missions. I ask that you would move on their hearts today. God, and I just ask that you would give us you would give us full-hearted devotion unto you, God, that we would see you clearly, that we would hear your voice clearly, that we would be a people.
people of your presence and your presence alone, that we would be fully gazing upon the glory of God and we would never want to leave. That it would be our home, it would be our safety, it would be our strong tower, that you would be everything to us, God. And I bless these people and I thank you for the opportunity to come And Lord, above anything else, we give you all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the power forever and ever. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much for letting me speak. Um, I will be out there. I would love to connect with you. Um, And if you have any questions, I'd love to answer them. So thank you so much.